Chapter 5 of A Doubter's Doubts About Science and Religion by Robert Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Is Christianity Divine? Is Christianity a divine revelation? This question must not be settled by the result of the preliminary inquiry here proposed. In rejecting sacerdotalism, we merely clear the ground for a discussion of the main question upon its merits. The Reformation, says Mr. Goldwin Smith, was a tremendous earthquake which shook down the fabric of medieval religion. But, he goes on to say, it left the authority of the Bible unshaken, and men might feel that the destructive process had its limit, and that adamant was still beneath their feet. To the Bible, then, we turn. But how is such an inquiry to be conducted? The unfairness of entrusting the defense of Christianity to any who are themselves the rejecters of Christianity will be palpable to everyone. Here the right of audience is only to the Christian. But in making this concession, the skeptic may fairly insist on maintaining the place of critic, if not of censor. Until convinced, he will continue to consider, reflect, hesitate, doubt. And it is a suspicious circumstance that so many who claim to be leaders of religious thought and who are professional exponents of the Christian faith, who seem eager not only to eliminate from Christianity everything that is distinctive, but also to divorce it from much with which, in its origin, it was inseparably associated they are strangely anxious to separate it from the judaism which it succeeded and upon which it is so indisputably founded as a corollary upon this they struggle to separate the new testament from the old treating the hebrew scriptures and especially the pentateuch as persons who have risen in the world are prone to treat the quondang circumstances of humbler days as a further step they betray unmistakable uneasiness when confronted with the miraculous in the bible and the old evangelical doctrine of inspiration they regard with undisguised dislike if not contempt no well-informed person will dispute that this is a fair statement of the position assumed by a school of religious thought which is in its own sphere both influential and popular but it needs no more than a conventional knowledge of the New Testament to enable us to assert that the Christianity of Christ and his apostles was not a new religion, but rather an unfolding and fulfillment of the Judaism which preceded it. The Christ of Christendom was a crucified Jew, crucified because he declared himself to be the Jew's Messiah, and his claims upon our homage and our faith are inseparably connected with that Messiahship. And what were the credentials of his Messiahship? to some extent the miracles which he wrought, but mainly the Hebrew scriptures, and in his appeal to those scriptures he implicitly asserted that they were in the stricter sense inspired. Ten times are those scriptures quoted in the first four chapters of the New Testament as being ipsissima verba of the deity, and three of these quotations are from the book of Deuteronomy, the very book which these theologians are most decided in rejecting. The language of the Sermon on the Mount is, if possible, more emphatic still. To understand its full significance, we must bear in mind what Josephus asserts, that by all Jews the scriptures were justly believed to be divine, so that rather than speak against them, they were ready to suffer torture or even death. 
it was to a people saturated with this belief that such words as the following were spoken think not that i am come to destroy the law or the prophets i am not come to destroy but to fulfil for verily i say unto you till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled the jot we are told is the greek iota the hebrew yod the smallest of all the letters of the alphabet the tittle was one of the smallest strokes or twists of other letters what language then could possibly assert more plainly that so far from coming to set up a new religion as these christian teachers would tell us the nazarene declared his mission to be the recognition and fulfilment of the old hebrew scriptures in every part even to the minutest detail and much that is distinctly miraculous in those scriptures was specially adopted in his teaching as for example noah's deluge the destruction of sodom and gomorrah jonah and the fish moses and the burning bush the heaven-sent manna in the wilderness elijah and his mission to the widow of sarapta elisha and the cure of naaman's leprosy and by bathing in the jordan but we are told though christ was essentially divine he laid aside his divinity with a view to his mediatorial work and his ministry was marked by the imperfections of human knowledge in proof of this appeal is made to the apostolic statement that he emptied himself strange it is that men who hold verbal inspiration in such contempt should lay such stress upon the words of scripture but let that pass the subject will come up again suffice it here to say that the apostle's language will not support the heresy that is based upon it true it is that no stronger term could be found to describe the great renunciation by which the son of god stripped himself of all the insignia of deity but this involved no change of personality when king alfred became a drudge in the swineherd's cottage he divested himself of all the externals of royalty but he did not cease to be king alfred and the story of the burnt cakes loses its significance and charm if we forget that it was with full consciousness of who and what he was that he bore the peasant's reprimands and the words of christ give overwhelming proof that throughout his earthly ministry he bore his sufferings with full knowledge of his origin and glory and that his teaching was not characterized by human ignorance but by divine authority if this be forgotten moreover the apostolic exhortation loses all its meaning for it is based on this that with the fullest consciousness of his deity he emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men the dilemma in which this places the christian is inexorable if christ was divine the truth of everything adopted and accredited by his teaching is placed beyond question to plead that with a view to advance his messianic claims he pandered to jewish ignorance and prejudice is not only to admit that he was merely human but to endanger our respect for him even as a rabbi and yet christian teachers have the temerity to suggest such an explanation of his words such a position is utterly untenable the christian is to borrow a legal term is stopped from questioning the inspiration of the old testament or the reality of the miracles recorded in it and when teachers who profess to be christians question both they cannot be surprised if they are charged with being either dishonest or credulous but it may be urged it is not the teaching of christ which is disparaged but only the record of that teaching it is here that allowance must be made for jewish ignorance and prejudice 
that the jews believed their scriptures to be inspired is admitted and therefore it was that those who chronicled the words of christ gave that colour to his doctrine the new testament is marked by the same imperfections as the old it is of priceless value as the record of divine facts but it is upon those facts themselves and not upon the record of them that christianity is founded this answer is plausible but upon examination it will prove to be absolutely fatal when we turn to the gospels we find that of necessity the whole fabric of christianity stands or falls with our acceptance or rejection of their claims to be in the strictest and fullest sense authentic most true it is that the system rests on facts and not on writings merely and this it is indeed which distinguishes it from all other religions but such is the character of the facts on which it is based that if the record of them be disparaged belief in these facts is sheer credulity the public facts of the ministry and death of christ are as well authenticated as any other event of ancient history no one questions them but the entire significance of those facts depends upon their relation to other facts behind them facts of a transcendental character and such as no amount of discredited or doubtful testimony would warrant our accepting but it may perhaps be answered though the record was human the person of whom it speaks was more than human the whole argument depends upon ignoring the great fundamental fact of christianity that christ was himself divine but what is the basis of our belief in the deity of christ the founder of rome was said to be the divinely begotten child of a vestal virgin and in the old babylonian mysteries a similar parentage was ascribed to the martyred son of semiramis gazetted queen of heaven what grounds have we then for distinguishing the miraculous birth at bethlehem from these and other kindred legends of the ancient world at this point we are face to face with that to which i repeat no consensus of untrustworthy testimony could lend even an a priori probability if therefore the gospels be not authentic and authoritative records of the mission and teaching of christ we must admit that christianity is founded on a galilean legend and if we accept the new testament we are excluded from rejecting the earlier scriptures which were so unequivocally accredited by christ himself if his authority as a teacher be rejected or the authenticity of the records of his ministry be denied there is no longer any foothold for faith for the foundations of christianity are thus destroyed and while the superstitions may cling to an edifice built upon the sand clear-headed and thoughtful men will take refuge in natural religion whatever may be said therefore of the theological school here under review their religion is not christianity and their testimony must be rejected as of less value even than that of the sacerdotalists nor can any one justly take exception to the fairness of this argument if we be urged to embark in a gold mine we naturally ask whether those who commend it to our confidence have themselves put their money in it nor will this avail to satisfy us if we find that they have also invested in other undertakings which we know to be worthless and so here we are entitled to put men upon proof not only of the sincerity and consistency of their faith but also of its reasonableness and we find that the faith of christians of the one school includes tenets the belief in which implies the degradation of reason and that the unfaith of christians of the other school undermines christianity altogether the one school believes too much the other believes too little with the one 
faith degenerates into superstition with the other it merges in a scepticism which is as real though not as rational or consistent as is that of many who are commonly branded as infidels End of chapter five